Hello and welcome to the Tom Hutch Podcast, where I interview individuals who have made a successful career within the music industry to find out how they got to where they are and any tips or advice that they have for musicians of any level and any stage of their own careers. My guest for this episode is Ian King on Instagram at Ian King Bass, who currently holds the bass chair for the hit musical Hamilton that is playing in London's Victoria Palace Theatre. Ian is a prolific West End musician who has held the bass chair on Daddy Cool, Fame, Hairspray, Sister Act, Shrek the Musical, The Book of Mormon and Dreamgirls as well as Hamilton. With all of these shows combined, Ian has been working in the West End pits for over 12 years straight. As well as this, Ian is well versed in other areas of live music, having credits working with The Temptations, The Supremes, Sister Sledge, Ronan Keating, Huey Lewis, Paul Young, Rick Astley and Albert Lee, as well as arena tours with Jesus Christ Superstar, Doctor Who Live and Symphonic Rock with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. His TV credits include The Graham Norton Show and Strictly Dance Fever, to name a few. Now, in this episode we cover topics including how to get into the West End, crucial non-musical considerations on a big show, the key relationships of a pit bass player, how to cultivate over 15 years of consistency and much more. As Ian has had so much experience in the West End, much of the topics covered are to do with that particular part of the industry, but we still do cover a lot of other areas as well. Ian is one of the nicest people that I've ever met. He is, was amazing to talk to, and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Ian King. So, shall we start right right back at the beginning? Because I, I like hearing about people's backgrounds. For some reason, it gives a better picture of like everything, how it all goes together. Uh, okay. For me, so yeah. I mean, where did you where did you grow up originally? Uh, well, yeah, I'm originally from the Isle of Wight, actually. Oh right. Okay. So, um, yeah, so sort of level forty two uh, territory, and uh, obviously you have to get into Mark King if you live down there. It's just sort of obligatory, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up there, and just I suppose I got into playing bass when I was about twelve, sort of eleven or twelve, and um, I kind of. Uh, I think I just wanted to play electric guitar. I think a friend of mine just had got electric guitar for Christmas and I really wanted that. So my parents actually said, okay, we'll get you one, but you've got to start on a kind of Spanish guitar, kind of nylon string thing to start with. And um, so they got me a, a, a teacher around the corner um, and he, he turned out to be a professional bass player. Um, and he's a really good one, actually. And um, so I would go for these lessons and sort of in the corner was this this really cool black Music Man Stingray five string bass guitar, which I would just sort of ogle at for the whole lesson. And then after a while, my parents got me, um, uh, I think it was a Columbus bass guitar. Um, and uh, I started to go to lessons on that. And the idea was to sort of alternate between um, the nylon string thing one week and then bass guitar the next and um, in the end, I just kept telling them it's bass guitar this week, you know. So uh, right. <laughs> as it went on, I just did more and more of that. And then just, yes, yeah, just got into playing in bands on the Isle of Wight. And um, I went to the, uh, what was it called? The the Isle of Wight Youth Jazz Orchestra, I think it was. I, I sort of started learning to read music and going to that. Oh, right, and then, okay. um, and then yeah, eventually went off to off to uni. And I sort of 17, I think I was. I sort of 17 going into eight. And um, so, yeah, that was my start anyway. Right. So I mean... on the Isle of Wight. Um, when did you when did you actually start playing with other people after you started getting lessons? Um, yeah, probably. Well, let me think. 
probably about 15, 16, started playing in soul bands and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, one thing I've sort of missed out is that I did also did a job in a holiday camp down there as well. Um, so that was a really good grounding because I got that when I was 16. And I kind of did it instead of A-levels, actually. I'd sort of started doing A-levels. And, oh, you, and mean, you mean you got a job tears. playing music in there? Yeah, so I, yeah, I played in, the, in like the house band in, a, oh, great. In, a, in what was called Harcourt Sands, which is in Puckpool on the Isle of Wight. And okay. um, so that was just kind of like a little four, four or five-piece band just reading charts each night and back in cabaret acts and stuff. So there's right, a real so. kind of, um, you know, baptism of fire in terms of um, sight reading music, you know. Right, and so that, um, was, that was any kind of style, whatever, whatever came along. Yeah, I mean, it, it tended to be more, I suppose, it's sort of, it's all light entertainment. So it'd be more kind of pop and soul stuff. And, um, you know, there'd even be, you know, each evening would go that you would start off with a sort of set for the kids. I think you would do a load of kiddie music. Then you would do a set for the really old people. So you would do a load of sort of ballroom music. And then right. you would do a couple of sort of poppy sets with the band. And in between that, you would do a, do the cabaret artist. So, and I, funnily enough, I thought the, the, the hardest um, acts to back were actually the magicians because they would be doing, you know, they were doing a sort of little a little act and not much is going on other than just you know something with their hands and so they would need some funky music in the background so that i used to find that they would bring up some really hard charts for that really? and um yeah they would they would probably be the hardest they'd be harder than just someone coming to do just singing like a soul singer because it would usually be songs you knew but um yeah so I mean, it's good really good grounding actually i did that between i suppose six, yeah when i was 16 and 17 and then just went off to, to uni after that. Yeah, yeah, that does sound like a really good grounding because from what you're saying, every night that was like that was a lot of music for you to play. Yes. Play yeah, it really got me. Um, yeah, it got me reading very. I, I sort of, you know, got my got my way through the audition for it just just about okay. And um, but the, you know, even the even the pad for the band was just hundreds of charts. So you know, the, the band leader would just shout out a number, and you'd have to just you know quickly get to that number in the in the big pad, this huge pad. Of music and you'd be just reading every night so it did it got it got my sight reading up up and up and i suppose fairly good quite quickly really wow. you know? so you and, did that um, you did that for a couple of years did you say yeah that's right yeah. yeah and um and i think it was actually that that got me up it's funny because you know you there's different ways of getting to you know music college and and into music like you say and um and that was the way that it got me, I suppose, fairly good. And, and, and it got me so that I uh, I played a fairly hard tune for my audition for, for my music degree. And um, and I think it was that grounding, really, and the, the holiday camp, actually reading all this music that got me good enough to do that, really. Right. So, um, yeah, I suppose it's different for different people, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I, don't know I don't know how much of that stuff there is. I, do you know if there's much of that kind of thing around at the moment these days? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do hear of... Um, you know, uh, the similar kind of work is, is the cruise ships. So I, I often hear of people looking for bands or, or musos for, for the cruise ships. That's a very similar uh, set of music, you know, and the, the sort of stuff you would be asked to do. Mm. So I, I'm not sure much how much of the holiday camps have got bands these days. I don't really know. It's been a while. But um, I know that, the, yeah, like I say, the cruise ships are doing are still doing lots of stuff like that. And um, they'd be sort of in, in, in-house in kind of uh, shows as well, which it's sort of like, west end shows on a small scale really it's, it's perfect grounding because you'd be you know playing to click tracks and backing tracks and stuff and um and it would just be sort of just like doing a mini west end show you know so right. it's, it's just it's so handy to do yeah, and very, um very you know it's, that whole cruise ship thing yeah have you ever, have i just you ever think it's one? i haven't myself but um 
I just think it's 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 a really good thing to do because <clears throat> you know I do I hear I hear of quite a few players I suppose that have just come out of, of music college and they're, they're desperate to get straight into the West End and um, and oh, don't get me wrong they might be fine they might be you know well good enough to do it but um, I think it's it, it's a it's a sort of a question of dealing with the pressure of of maybe these sort of slightly higher profile shows and. I think it's a little bit dangerous to go straight into the West End because it is a high profile thing. And if, you know, if you go wrong, if it doesn't go well, then um, it, it's going to get noted and, you, you you know, you won't do very well from then on, you know. But but doing like a, a cruise ship for a while, maybe doing some pantos, you know, um, just a really good way to practice what you're going to do when you get to the West End later on, you know. And I just think it's important to work your way up, you know, and, and I suppose pay your dues really just because it, um, it just prepares you. There's There's a lot of stuff that um you know flies at you when you do these shows and, and and not a lot of it is always to do with the music so what i mean by that is you know you get into an environment where suddenly the lighting might be weird it might be really really low light you can't see very well you can't see the dots on the top of your bass very well mm. you know suddenly you put the headphones on and the mix is completely different to what you practice to or what you're expecting you know and that, there could be just a million things that are there to put you off yeah. And um, they're all the things you've got to deal with. It's not necessarily the actual music on the page, although that's a big thing as well. But it's even things like how I'm going to turn the pages in time, you know, and how I'm going to prepare the music physically on the stand. You know, there's just a, a million different things that can throw you and, 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 you know, it can go badly wrong if you get those things wrong, you know. Yeah. So, um, like I say, I just think, um, you know, I've heard of players sit at young guys come and sit in. And um, I think there was a drummer sat in with, with a drummer I was working with. And he sort of said, oh, I've been offered a panto, but I'm not doing that. You know, it's not good enough. Or I'll dip it out loads if I do do it. And I kind of think you're getting the, you're getting it wrong there. You, you know, this is a key time to practice what you're going to do on a on a bigger stage. You know what I'm saying? So it's mm. sort of, I think it's um, important to do these these smaller shows and you know touring shows and things like that just to sort of work your way up, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So you feel like you need so, to. I mean, it makes sense to hone hone the kind of musical skills and everything you need before you get mm. into a situation where all the other things come at you to make sure the music's still... Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, essentially, you want to go wrong in in, in in environment when it's not so important, you know, because if you just go straight into a top West End show with a top MD and you just, you know, you can't handle the pressure and something goes wrong, you won't really get much of a second chance. It's just, just how it is, you know, because mm. there's so many people trying to do it. So I just think, you know, do, a, do like a, you know, a pante or something, a really low-key thing. And if a few things go wrong, it's not the end of the world, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of thing. But did so, you did yeah. you do anything similar um, towards that route? Uh, like, do any of the kind of building yourself up, paying your dues? Yeah, I mean, like I say, so I sort of did the so I did the holiday camp thing to start with. I did the um, I did three years of of uh, music college, and um, I then I sort of towards the end of that, there wasn't an enormous amount of playing. Well not enough really for what I wanted to do in my course so right. I, I went I went along to Nigel you know and I would sit in and um it was Nigel 2 actually that I sat in which was more of the rehearsal band and um and there was a guy uh, Yannick Grisdala was the bass player at that time so I remember sitting in with him and um then he moved on to do other stuff and I sort of went into Nigel too so what was good about that was like a, every Saturday morning was just again more reading charts and um getting used to that sort of that sort of stuff and then um so that was a good way to get back into things and that's just through the people i met at nijo that i got into a bunch of function bands um did a million functions up and down the country for absolutely years right. with some great players actually some really good guys you know 
and um, I said did that for quite a while. I've done a few sort of touring shows, um, various sort of things. I remember doing kind of cheesy sort of Latin pop shows and and uh, various things. And I was in sort of um, disco bands. I did that. I did a salsa band. It was really good. Right. So pretty much. Uh, and um, really. Yeah, just did a lot of different things really. And um, you know, and even just a, a good function band is just again a great way to sort of get you playing lots of different stuff. Um, there'd always be, always be like a, a set at the beginning over whilst people are having dinner, which would be like the jazz set. So you'd just be um, getting the real book out and um, reading down a bunch of charts for that. And then, you know, later on, you'd have more poppy stuff and, um, you know, just a, a, a real sort of wide range of music that you, you're asked to play. So, again, it's all about getting your hands around a bunch of different tunes, really, and just getting used to how you're going to sound doing them. Yeah. And um, and uh, it's something I always say about these these West End shows, because, again, like, sort of banging on about it but a lot of people want to come straight out of college go straight into it but the whole point of a west end show is is that there will be lots of different styles as the whole point musically of a lot of these shows is there will be a swing section there'll be a funky section there'll be a rocky section and you, you have to have played that before you can't just be learning whilst you're there like oh how am i going to play this you know mm, you absolutely. need to bring you need to sort of bring something to the party that, you, that you've that you've done before you know so yeah so with all the shows and everything because sometimes in the shows, you know, the, the the sections, there are sections of of styles that only last for like you know four bars, eight bars. That's so it. You've yeah, got, you've got yeah. to be really on it, haven't you, with all that stuff? Yeah, that's I guess so. Yeah, you just got to be able to just pile straight in, and and also maybe you know things might change during rehearsal periods, and they might suddenly throw something in, and you've just got to have an idea of what they're talking about. And I'm not even talking about, you know, like anything crazily technically hard to play i'm just talking about you know there might be a rumba section or something or they might you know you just got to know what they're talking about you just got to know the mm. basics of what what you know a bass yeah. player might play or whatever instrument you're playing you know in that instance and so i'm not necessarily talking about high level um technical playing here like oh we're going to now do this tapping section you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's more about just um knowing what, about what's going on just so knowing like, what they're talking about like you need an, a big enough uh, a broad enough grounding so that if something comes in and it and it is a rumba like you know what exactly yeah is, rather than just like oh, i'll do a generic latin pattern that i know that, that yeah won't, i guess so work in that thing yeah just you just want to sound authentic really you know just sort of have a, have a stab at sounding like you know what you're doing, really. You know, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, and, the, um, the whole every every person I've talked to so far, um, this this comes up every time. So I, I ask them about their you know their background and everything, and the the bottleneck of Nigel, everybody seems to have gone to there and like met yeah. most of the guys they know from there, and then like you say, do function bands and kind of you know, cut their teeth doing doing that and like paying their dues. It seems to be, yeah. it seems to be a running theme because a lot of people, like you say. I don't know if it's more now these days or whether it was always like that, but people are very impatient to yeah, get yeah. into the bigger stuff, understandably, but um, maybe don't want yeah, to I guess, do the Yeah, that's so it. Much. It's funny because, you know, years ago, you know, you go back a, a few decades, there was plenty of sessions about, and um, and I guess sort of maybe the better players would be busy doing sessions and, and the West End stuff would be thought of as maybe a step down, you know, and um, what's ended up happening is, you know, the session scene is getting smaller and smaller and it's just a, a few top guys that will be doing those things. And basically the, the, the sort of, um, I suppose, the most regular work that you can get at, at a fairly good level is, is the West End stuff. So a lot more people are gravitating towards it, you know, mm. and um, and I just so, you know, 
I think, yeah, there's just more interest in the West End stuff now. And like a lot of people, like you say, want to kind of do the shortcut to it. And it just can't be done. I just don't think it can be done. I mean, you you could do it. You could go in and have a go. But you, I don't know. You're just not going to sound just you're just not going to sound ready. I mean, MDs know it. They can hear it a mile off. Like there's a there's a, a fantastic MD that I've worked for for the past five years called Nick Finlow, who's, who's basically one of the best around. Um, amazing MD and and ridiculous player. So it's just wonderful. And he can he can hear someone, you know, when we're discussing, for example, a depth that's come in. And you can just hear if someone doesn't sound quite ready yet. You know, right. it's not very, you know, you're not really specifically, you know, slagging off their playing or saying he did a specific thing wrong. They just don't kind of sound very ready to be doing this level. Like, And by that, I mean, for example, things like simple things like volumes, making sure your volume is correct for each song and, and maybe mm. trying to keep it quite even when it needs to be. Like some people might move up and down a bit or, you know, it might be when they're not so confident on a song, play it quieter. And then on another song, they're really confident. They're just piling really loud, and it's just not very helpful, you know. Yeah. So um, I just think, yeah, it, it, it gets noted by the better MDs as to whether you sound like someone who's got a grounding in in all the different styles first, you know. Mm. It's just there's no bypassing it really. It gets noted, you know. Yeah. So and, you, um, when you're saying like it's quite cutthroat, like if you come in and you don't do a good job. You'll kind of be blacklisted a little bit. Have you ever have you seen people come in who have who have done like done an okay job, but like you're saying that people in the yeah. back like you know they they're good but they're not they're not ready yet. Have you seen those kind of people? Yeah, kind of that has come happened. in had a go you know. and then wait a couple of years before and then then get back into it. It's not that's it really. If you go too soon, like you you ruined it. I don't know. It depends. I think it depends on your attitude. I think like. Um... If you go in kind of humble and you give it a go and and you do the show right, you know you've not you've put you obviously put the effort in to learn the pad well, um, but you maybe don't sound quite ready yet. Then I don't think you've done anything to be blacklisted. That sounds quite extreme, you know. So mm. the person, the MD, for example, might say, well, let's you know let's sort of let them slip down the list a bit for you know for now, um, but it wouldn't be a sort of never again situation, yeah. you know, but yeah, but you might, like you say, it might be a good idea for that person to go off and do some other stuff to get a bit more experience and then come back on maybe the next show you do, you know? Um, but alternatively, if a, if a player came in really cocky and then obviously hadn't done the homework and, um, and just basically messed the show up for, you know, for no other reason that, that they messed it up themselves, then, then that might get seen, you know, a bit worse really you know yeah. and um and uh they probably wouldn't get another chance so it can be cut cutthroat but yeah. um you know i don't think people are too unfair about the whole thing but um you know there's you know if you imagine there's only a sort of handful of shows going around in london and there must be a hell of a lot of players wanting to do them and um so in terms of the actual playing it's um yeah i just think yeah, you have to be you have to be up up to speed, you know. I suppose. Yeah, I know yeah. it make, makes sense. I mean, I mean, yeah. the amount of money that's involved in all the shows and everything, you know. Like, yeah. There, there must be X amount of people all wanting to yeah. make sure that it's it's perfect every night, kind of thing. So it's right. understandable. Yeah. I mean, how? Is, yeah. um So, regardless of how old someone is or how experienced mm. or whatever. Is there a, is there an accepted process of like how you get onto somebody's list, how you get into the kind of bubble of the West End at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a good question, really, because um, there is sort of yeah. I mean essentially the, the, there is the sort of um, the stepping stones of you know like you say start by doing a bunch of 
bands of your own, then work up to maybe doing some touring shows. Um, you know, you could even dip on a touring show and then get your own touring show. Right. And then um, then you would start to try and work your way onto sort of people's debt lists in town. And essentially, it usually comes from recommendation. Um, but people will want to know, um, just want to, want to know what you've done so far, you know, and it has to be sort of, as I suppose, it just has to be in the same vein as what they're about to do, you know. So mm. what I'm saying is, like, if you're doing a West End show, and um, they want to know that you've been doing a similar type of work at a lower level and, and that you're, it's right for you to then be moving up to this level, you know. Um, so, if, for example, if it was a bass player who was just like a heavy rock band, you know, um, and then they suddenly wanted to come into the West End, they wouldn't be right for it. So they want to know that you've, um, uh, you know, uh, been doing the, the right sort of work and you're on, you're on the sort of trajectory, <laughs> the right trajectory yeah, to yeah, get up yeah. to that, you know. So do, do people, like, check you out or do they talk to you directly? Um yeah uh how do you mean what you mean like, uh, like if, you, if you've as, been recommended is that is that as good as i think what they would yeah i think what they would probably do is look at they would maybe uh, talk to the md of any shows you've done before or, right. and also like a lot of the fixers that fix music um in the west end also fix the tours so there's a lot of the same people fixing the bands and um so they might you could basically do a bit of digging you know mm. um and and find out about the person you know so once so once you're once you're kind of on on a lift or whatever, I mean, um, is is your relationship with uh, a specific fixer is that is that quite key to getting, yeah, getting um, other stuff after the first thing that you get? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, you've just got to sort of again, you know, there are a few fi- there's a, there's a few fixers around, and 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 they will want to see that you've been doing the the, the, right, the right stepping stones. Like they wouldn't put you straight into a top show. They would they would want to see that you've done some other stuff first, you know. Mm. And I think you do have to pay your dues. I mean, there's there's a, there's a few fixers around. There's one in particular I can think of that that um, I've done sort of lesser shows for years ago, and. Um, and they've seen me, you know, move my way up and they will then put me up for better things now, having seen me sort of, again, pay my dues, you know. Right. So I think, you know, everyone really needs to see that, um, you know, that you're, you're doing the, all the right steps to be ready for the higher. Pre- like I say, because when you get to the top stuff, it's not necessarily harder music. It's just, you know, there's less room for error, really. You know, mm. you know, it's bigger venues. It's, it's a bigger deal. There's more money involved. There's just the spotlight's more on on everything the music and um you just there's no real you know like i say there's no real room for error you've just got to, it's just got to be right all the time you yeah. know so you've got so to you cut up, like you're saying and if, yeah you've got to cut your teeth elsewhere really and yeah. then um especially if you've it, got you know. um, and, um i wasn't really aware too much of where where fixes went particularly but if you're saying that fixes they they you know fix bands for a range of shows going from like yeah. the top stuff down to the but like there, there really is no way for you to do a shortcut if they, they want to watch that's you it go through basically if they're the ones that's it the yeah yeah and they and they, they won't like if, if you turn down lesser stuff and you're just saying no nah, i want to do you know i want to do the top stuff really at this stage and then you're 20 you know they just yeah. they just they're not going to like they're not going to take to that very well they want to see that you're paying your dues and cutting your teeth on smaller shows and then working your way up you know mm. and um and then you know only at that point where they they put you up for the better stuff you know yeah is there so, a kind of is yeah. there kind of a in your experience is there kind of an age range of like when when people start getting into to the, the yeah and that's, like, yeah it's a good question again is i i would say it tends to be people in their sort of late 20s are coming into 
So maybe mid mid twenties are sort of starting depping on shows, mm. um, you know, mid to late twenties, and then sort of late twenties into early thirties, people start getting their own shows. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously exceptions everywhere, but um, that's a, a general theme, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, um, the exceptions are probably a bit of an issue because people hear about the exceptions, don't they? So then they think. Yeah, and they go, "What about him?" But I mean, I'm just thinking, yeah, generally, generally that seems to be the way because again, you need to have spent a few years doing the other stuff and it it just takes that long you know mm. and um and uh, yeah i just think you're a bit more mature a bit more ready for it really you know yeah it's interesting to hear and you say uh, that because even even mid-20s that's if people go to music college or even if they haven't mm. but that's if they go to music college that's you know three four years after they've actually finished music college before yeah. they would even start to do certain i think things. so so yeah yeah i think it's yeah sounds like i think i was about when people are aware of I guess so. Yeah, I think I was maybe twenty six, twenty seven when I started depping in town, right. um, and then I, yeah, I just did um, the Mamma Mia gig. Actually, I, a person recommended me because again, that's just really good pop songs, and um, I was sort of known as a, a good pop player, I suppose. So I got put up for that, and that went quite well. And then I did a bit of depping on, I think Billy Elliot and maybe one or two others. And then uh, again, one of the fixers for one of those shows just had a had an opening in a in a new poppy show this it was actually called daddy cool which was um all the music of boney m mm. and um and then they just thought of me for that so um right and that i must have been i can't remember how old i was then but maybe yeah getting sort of late 20s kind of thing yeah so, so even yeah. in between all of the because you've had you've had several shows which have been your chair since then yeah um yeah have you been depping on other shows in between all of those as well like, do you think that's still important um, after you've got your established i guess so i guess so i, mean, I suppose i know some uh, sort of there's two two camps really and some people just just play their own show and then they might just get out to do other gigs um and then i know other people that have their own show and also like to dep on loads of other shows as well and i've been more to like the first camp to be honest i've been more just just do my own show and i might go out to do a few more sort of gigs on stage and maybe some sessions but i don't tend to dip on other shows that much i mean the, the one exception was i did um hair a few years ago this show called hair and, mm. and um it was for a, a fab bass player called andy uh, andy pask who's just one of the absolute best around and um and also the drummer was neil wilkinson again he's just mm. absolutely sublime drummer so just the the opportunity to to play with him was was just you know too good to miss so i got involved in that so it was, um, more, it was more that than wanting to play the show for you it was really yeah and, and and i think it was a good show as well actually it was, it was good music it was a really good md who actually ironically i'm about to play for again on a, on my next show which starts in a couple of months so actually that's worked out well so depping on that show um was where i met this this particular md um that went quite well he he used me on a bunch of sessions and then um he's remembered me a few years later for for this other show that's just come up and, and i'm going to be doing that soon so nice. in, in fact that that worked quite well but i mean other than that i've only had about i think i've only had one six month gap between having shows really in, in the last sort of maybe 12 years wow that's, so i haven't that's really had yeah, I haven't really had a huge opportunity to to do a lot of depping, really. Yeah, how does that um, work? For you? How has it worked for you uh, specifically for that? Then is it just been luck of you know when one show closes, well, one opens, or do you swap from one to another before the? Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of both, really. I mean, what I would say is um, overall the way it's got because that sounds quite fluky, really. You know, kind of ten, twelve years of um, constant shows. But what what's happened is I've either moved with um, an MD. Um, he's sort of taken me, he or she has taken me with, with them, or or a drummer. So what I mean by that is, for example, let me think back now. I did 
uh, hairspray a few years ago. Um, that was about 10, 11 years. Yeah, that was about 11 years ago. I did hairspray for a run. And then the MD of that took me and the drummer onto the next show, which was Sister Act. So we did that with him. Um, after Sister Act, I did um, Shrek. Um, I'll tell you what it was. Was Yeah, the assistant MD of Sister Act went on to be the MD of Shrek. Um, and he's a, a fab MD now. He's doing a lot of big shows. So he t- he then thought of me for the Shrek show. And then I met a, a really fab drummer on that called Tim Goodyear, who's, again, pretty much the best around. And he um, we then, from Shrek, moved on to the Book of Mormon. Um, and then I so I went with the drummer. So he kind of recommended, he got, I suppose he would have been, usually the drummer gets asked first out of the whole band. Right. And he would have probably recommended me for Book of Mormon. So then I moved on to the Book of Mormon and then uh, he left a a bit earlier than me to do Aladdin. But um, the MD of the Book of Mormon is uh, my current MD on Dreamgirls. So when he moved to Dreamgirls, he took me as well. So literally every single show I've done, I've either moved with the drummer I've just worked with or the MD I've just worked with. So for a bass player specifically, they are the two key roles in your career, basically. If Mm. if If you get to know a bunch of good drummers, and a bunch of good MDs, and then you're kind of doing okay, I think. Right. Um, so, and, and actually, um, the I'm on Dreamgirls now with a, a, a fab drummer called Ed Carlisle, um, but I'm, the next show I'm moving on to, which is Hamilton, is um, going to be with the drummer from the previous two shows, with, with uh, Tim Goodyear again. So um, right. we sort of get reunited again on, on that, and, and we sound good together, and we get on well as mates, so it's um, that's, that's all good. And then that will be with the MD of hair which i dept on whilst i was doing uh sister act wow so, so you, um, can, you can trace it all the way back to yeah you know, yeah there's a sort of a little line yeah that's it yeah amazing. So, so i mean it sounds like that that's that's great but you you obviously did an amazing job on the stuff you did which is why people wanted to take you along um, i suppose so yeah got um, away with it but how, how important <laughs> do you think um like the playing versus like personality and like social relationships with those people how important do you think that is alongside your playing yeah i think it's um i think what you need to yeah that's a good question you you basically got to there's a couple of key things i think you've got to be a really solid player and you've got to be sort of you've got to have there's got to be something about your playing that's a bit exciting um and it's got to have a bit of vibe to it but without going too far if you if you just want to walk in and be the star of the show then it's not really going to go well. You've got, you've still got to be a team player. So you've got to be a really solid player, but who brings a bit to the party as well. So they've got, you've got to have a bit of vibe about you. Um, and alongside that, I think you just need to be quite a, a sort of a steady eddy kind of character. Um, and just, yeah, you just got to be amiable. You just got to be kind of friendly, chatty to people. You know, you're going to be sat with people sort of eight shows a week. Mm. You need to get on well with people. You know, often you, you finish, say, for example, the matinee show on a Saturday and then you you know the show will finish and everyone you look left and right and whoever sat there you've got to go and have dinner with them or whatever so you can hanging out with these people a lot so i think that will come into it you know probably 50-50 the playing and the, and the personality i think you know if people are thinking about players for a show they they it's so important i mean do i want to sit with this person you know i want to sit next to them week in week if they're you know raging alcoholic and really violent then that's not going to go well you know <laughs> yeah. so um you yeah, know, so so if, if you're an amazing player, like literally the best, it doesn't really mm. matter. It, regardless, like if you're if you're not a nice yeah. person to hang out with, or you've got a bad exactly. vibe in the pit, 
hit, I can imagine that most like you, like you're saying, you can probably get on a show, but I can't imagine that they would they would do as you've done and somebody would specifically take them with them to another show. That's it. That's it. And I think also I think um being, you know, really consistent is, is you know, it sounds kinda of boring, but it's just so important. You've got to be able to you know, bring you know what I've just said—the sort of solid playing with a bit of vibe about it—has got to be consistent eight a week. You can't be like, on Thursday I had a really good show that went really well, and then the others I was just sort of, you know, calling it in as they say. You know, I kind of—you've got to be just—you've got to bring something to this to this gig every single time you do it. Because yeah. you know, when you think about it, also there's people out the front there that have saved up money, and uh, and and paid their hard-earned cash to come and mm. see this show. So you've, you you've got a kind of a responsibility to make it sound as, as good as you can. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I think that even on a Tuesday evening, maybe, yeah, maybe if you're not feeling it, you still you still got to step up. Completely, yeah. You've got either you've either got to sort of step up and give it a hundred percent, or if you're not well enough, you've got to get someone to come and depth you who is that night. You know, and just mm. make sure your depth list is is hopefully as, as strong or as near to as strong as you are, and um. I just think that's really important. Again, you know, I think your consistency on a gig is is really important because, yeah, it, it, again, it gets noticed if you're sort of up and down as well, you know. Yeah. So, so I think that's one thing I'm I'm quite into actually. It's funny. I think I'm maybe the right personality to sort of I, I'm quite into sort of honing what I do and in terms of my technique and the way I even just play the simplest things. I'm really into sort of working on my playing day in day out. And so actually. It, it, doing a show works really well for that kind of personality because you are yeah you're playing a lot of the same stuff um but you could sort of almost use it as um practice you just you can get better as a player by playing the same thing over and over and and there's kind of there's always room for maneuver in shows like i mean people was one of the questions people ask me like do you get bored just playing the same songs all the time but a lot of these shows there's there'll be there'll be parts of the music that's just written that's a little bit more open for you to do your thing on or you can just you can interpret a chart. You know, this is something again. I think why maybe I might have been booked over the years, especially on a string of pop shows, is that I will take a chart and maybe interpret the part, just slightly tweak it. You know, if I see something written, I think actually what you mean is this, and I just slightly tweak it to make it how I would do it, mm. and um, just again bring something to the party. You know. But you feel so, like um, do I do you feel like you can only do that because you have the experience of like X amount of years before yeah. you got into that, doing all these different styles and everything. Exactly that. I mean, for example, I'm trying to think, but, you know, there might be a song and it's like, um, you know, you can tell, oh, this song is based on, for example, Good Times or something by Chic. You know, mm -hmm. you can tell that this has been written with that song in mind. So you need to know that original song and you need to be able to clock that that writer, that musical writer had that vibe of song in mind when they were writing this song. Yeah. So then w when you approach that song, if you put a fill in or you put something in, you can do something that springs to mind from that original record or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? So you're kind of bringing something that's stylistically correct to the, to the part, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But nobody, and, um, nobody tells you to do that, do they? No. And that, but that's the, see, this is the sort of fine line. You've got to kind of, you've got to be able to interpret and embellish a part enough to give it, a little something a little extra bit of something a bit of magic on it i suppose mm. but um without going so far that you're suddenly trying to make it all about you you know yeah. and especially as a bass player i mean it's a real kind of art with the, some of the best bass players um i remember going to see um randy hope taylor play with a, a band just just in a kind of local club in london and um a friend of mine a guitarist i was playing with at hairspray took me down to see him 
and they were playing a bunch of covers just you know really groovy stuff it'd be like jocelyn brown tune or something and what i noticed about his playing which is i mean it's it's amazing playing all the time but his specifically good thing i liked about his playing was that he found gaps in the music to put little embellishments in so he wouldn't step on the singer's toes for example so the singer would be doing their thing there might be a gap in what they're doing and then out would come a beautiful bass fill you know and it was just it would be put in places where maybe we wouldn't always think to put them Mm. but i just thought that's a real master at work he really knows what he's doing he knows how to to sound special but without stepping on other people's toes and i suppose as a bass player as well you know that's a real key thing you know because you're, you're you're a sort of supportive instrument you're not a solo instrument yeah. but um but you still want to sound good you know yeah. so it's a it's a real art to it and um i find that's important in shows as well because and it's something that as the years have gone on i've worked out more about you know listen to the vocals more than you normally would because you, they're the bits that the md doesn't want you to step on their toes you know so if you start doing huge fills over the soloist singing, they're going to hate it. So you've got to find the gaps and you've got to find your moment to do your thing. And then you've got to get out of the way, you know. So like having, and, um, having a broader awareness of everything else that's going on at the same time. Completely. Yeah, completely. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, so, uh, in, I don't think it's in every show, but in some shows, um, am I right in saying that, you, you know, you're on in-ears, you've got click or you've yeah. got track in your ears. It's not all done live in the pit uh yeah so i mean we're we're playing everything live and we've always got headphones on obviously because we're, we're monitoring on headphones but that, that's what and I mean, yeah. uh, but i i would say about f- maybe at least 50 percent of the music is usually on on click and um there's there's also track playing as well usually alongside those things mm. and um and there'll be other sections which are just you're just following the md and uh, I'd, I'd say it's a pretty even mix these days of, of um you know playing to click um, with a lot of extra track on it, and and also just just playing t- to an MD conducting you, you know. Yeah. So when you've got um, that, when you've got that mix in your ear, um, mm. just thinking about what you just said about uh, everything, like having awareness of everything. It, does yeah. the, does the mix you have in your ears has that changed over the years as into like what you want specifically to hear? Um, yeah, that's what, what you mean. You yeah. As well. Yeah, because I mean, you, you've got these these fabulous personal mixes that you get now you know you can have any any mix you want so obviously you've got all the instruments on there and you can turn them up and down as you please so you can set up your own mix mm. and um uh, yeah that, it's it's true actually and you know a lot of i suppose rhythm section players you might tend to um just have loaded drum as a bass player for example you might have a load of drums bass and guitar a little bit of keys in there as well and then maybe you might have the brass a little bit lower for example and then you might might have the vocals really low um, but as you're right, as the years have gone on, actually, I've, I've started to make sure I listen to the brass lines more. So I, again, don't step on their toe. They might be doing something really nice. You know, you've got to let them do their thing. And, and I'll have the vocals a lot louder. I mean, this, this current show, Dreamgirls, that I'm doing is, um, you know, it's this very soulful kind of thing. And the singers are, uh, you know, really doing their thing on it. And it's a really, it's a big part of it. So mm-hmm. I have that quite loud now, actually. So I'm, um, just listening to what they do because it, it makes you play less a lot of the time because you just don't you know if you're not listening to everything you know you're not getting a full picture of what's going on yeah so um so like saying, yeah it's, it's more important about finding your moment and then just kind of doing doing what needs to be done when you're when there's not that gap yeah exactly that yeah yeah, yeah so yeah it's, so, it's all fun yeah so saying about being consistent going back to that about being consistent um when mm. you're not filling in all those gaps um do you feel like that was something that you you worked on and you built up through working on some smaller shows 
when you were young? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, for example, uh, I suppose an example of that would be playing to click, uh, you know, just getting used to that. It's mm. funny, even, even the, the holiday camp thing, I remember the way we used to play to click at holiday camp, he was all into that, was um, he would put a cowbell over because we didn't have in-ear monitors at that point we just had like um, monitor speakers you know little wedge monitors in front of us so a way to get the click to us was to he would often put a cowbell in you know um so we'd be playing along to a cowbell which is quite funny (laughs) but um again that's something that i've always been in positions where i've you know been playing to track really so you just i think by default you're just always working on your time you know and i've always i suppose i've kind of pride myself on on having fairly good time really yeah and, like you're um, saying about half and half these days to click and not, so it's important to be able yeah. to have solid time without relying on the click. That, that's it. Yeah, exactly that. And having the confidence. I mean, some of the hardest things to play um, in West End shows are the really simple but exposed bits. You know, so there might be a bit where it's just you know um, a, a ballad type thing where there's the singer and just maybe a bit of piano and the bass, and the bass might be the majority of the movement that's happening. And um, it's just hugely exposed. So just the placement of simple notes, you know, um, is, 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 is probably the most nerve wracking part of doing it, especially as a depth. You might come into something new and suddenly you're really exposed. You can hear yourself in this enormous room coming out. You touch your bass, you know, and it's, it's, it's uh, thundering in the room, you know. Yeah. So it's um, that's part. I suppose that's kind of over the years you get more and more confident with you know i'm just i'm going to place this note where i think it is and i'm just going to confidently do it you can't really do it half in any half measures you just got to go for it you know yeah absolutely um so yeah that kind yeah. of thing anyway so if you if um thinking about the depthing process now like if if somebody was coming into depth for you um yeah. how i mean first of all how how would they how would you meet someone new who was going to to depth for you how would that go yeah, it's funny. I mean, there's a, a few guys that have been sort of regulars throughout my my last sort of ten, twelve years, I suppose. Um, and there's also a few new guys that have come in. And um, yeah, it's always recommendation, really. I mean, the, I suppose in a, in a way, there's a there's a sort of key group of of players that do each instrument in town, and they will sort of, I suppose, there's a little bit of helping each other out. Maybe if you know someone's not got a show at the moment, but they've had a show for years before, so and it's, it's not, suddenly it's not so much like all depths are young guys like at all it's just like no, some, no. Yeah, like saying if someone doesn't have a show currently like they'll come in and depth yeah so exactly that so for example it, like i say for um there's a guy i i know who who did jersey boys for for nine years you know mm. and then suddenly he's gone from solid paycheck for nine years to suddenly out there freelancing so you know people other people that know that that player will will get them in on their shows you know to try and give them a, give them a hand you know got to make a living they've got they've got small people to buy shoes for you know so yeah. um so so there's i guess there's a certain amount of that going on so and I, maybe i would kind of community spirit within the west End. yeah i mean i'd like to think that if i was suddenly without a show maybe some of the guys i know would get me in on their shows just to sort of help me out as well but alongside that it's not a completely closed shop i wouldn't i mean that sounds very closed what i've just said it's not as simple as that i mean like there's there's a few guys that i know younger guys that have come in again they're really nice chaps and very competent and they've come in and it's gone really well they've just been integrated really quickly to the whole scene because they just tick all the boxes of nice laid-back guy very sort of you know uh, reliable and sound good and and um uh, a lot of it's to do with doubling as well now like you have to be able to play as a bass player and in my example you, you you're not just playing electric bass or double bass you've got to be able to play both 
um, the next show I'm, I'm about to do Hamilton, I've got to play five string electric bass, um, four string hollow body a bass, sort of kind of like Paul McCartney sound mm. and um, double bass with the string sections, so a lot of bowing as well. And then I'm playing a little synth bass as well for some of the tunes. Right. So you've got you've got to find guys that will do all those things as well. You know, yeah, I suppose so, that makes, um, it makes finding a depth quite hard as well. If there's all those different yeah. skills. That's it for different shows. I mean, and, but you know, conversely, the show I'm on at the moment is just electric bass. So I've used um, a particular guy who used to depth for me on hairspray when that was just electric bass. So I've remembered him from then, mm. and he's a good, good pal of mine, and he's a fabulous player. Um, and he, he he now comes in on that. So it's sort of horses for courses. Different shows require different types of players, right. and um, so yeah. But it's, um, it sounds like you you've kind of horses for courses, but it sounds like you've got kind of. All, all of the horses <laughs> in a way covered, like, I suppose. kind of covered yeah do you think that's important for people to kind of come in having had all that stuff or did you kind of develop that as you, as your career went along and as it as and when you would needed to yeah you mean the different instruments and stuff yeah um yeah i mean yeah i mean like i say i started with electric bass when i was like 12 <laughs> and i did that for my first sort of 20 odd years or whatever but mm. it's been the, the double bass for example has been something that's coming in more in more recent years and um i remember my first show with double bass was sister act and that just had a little bit of double bass in it um so i got away with that fairly easily and then my next show which was shrek was we had a much harder double bass part and it was um quite involved so i made sure i had a bit a bit of a heads up you know as as to how long i had before that show was going to start mm. so i went off and made sure i got some um lessons with some great guys and um just really put the time in again there's just no real shortcuts you've just got to put the time in um so i've sort of um the double bass has been something i've, I've brought in in more recent years and um uh and the keys thing for this next show is that's a, a sort of newish again there's only a few tunes on uh, on keys and that's something I'm just putting the time in and getting it down. You know, mm. it's weirdly you sort of have the kind of the base sort of sensibilities. You sort of got you know what you want to play on it. You just got to work out where the, where everything is and get the touch right. You know, right. And uh, off you go. You know, so um, yeah, I just think it, it helps if you can play it all. But um, I suppose you know, it's there's still you know there's still shows out there for specific instruments and. Um, you know, um, I suppose you don't have to be able to just play all the instruments to still to do well. I think if you're just a great player, that mm. that's going to get noted. You know. Yeah, but do you so, think because yeah. um, they the shows these days, um, especially some of the older ones, obviously they're they're orchestrated for you know like twenty plus instruments mm. in a band, but um, yeah. they're getting they're getting cut down a little bit more and more these days. So I mean, do you think it's important for other members of the band to be able to like doubling and yeah yeah all the other it's important it is really important i mean more and more you know shows are exactly that you know like maybe in the olden days you might have you know a separate violin and viola player for example and um uh the book of mormon there's just there's just one string player on it and um right and the girl the girl there plays as you know i guess she plays violin is her main thing and she hadn't played quite as much viola but she had to sort of work on a viola player you know playing again just to sort of get that back up to the level of the violin and um off she goes so she's dabbling on that and it mm. happens all across the band i mean like you look at the brass and saxophone players are just are just surrounded by instruments now you know and um and it's the same in the rhythm section you know i mean um uh drummers are you know triggering all kinds of things and um i think the percussion chair on the next show i'm doing is, is particularly involved you know there's keyboards involved in that as well right. they're running running ableton um like i said this i'm playing four instruments the guitarist's playing 
four instruments. Yeah. Um, it's just it's you have to be like an octopus now, you know. Yeah, it just just seems to be the way it is, really. Yeah. It sounds like you have to be very so. very switched on, very concentrated to be able to do all those things and, like you say, be consistent with it. Yeah, and you're, and you're constantly, you know, it's plate spinning. You're constantly trying to keep keep these instruments, you know, up to speed. You know, you haven't just got one instrument that you're keeping up up and running all the time. And mm. and that's not, you know, even not just even playing wise. You've got to keep physically. You've got to keep these instruments, like in my case, restrung all the time and keeping them set up and you know the, the, put a new new hair on the bow and all this kind of stuff you know it's just a it's, it's a full full-time job just keeping all the gear up and running you know yeah yeah i mean but, how, um, do you have like a, a kind of a mental a mental process or a way that you like kind of switch yourself on you're like right now i'm in gig mode before you do something like that or are you just always when you sit down in the pit and the lights go down you're you're just zoning yeah in? like a sort of red light mode i suppose yeah i suppose um I mean, I, I do try to, I'm not one of these people that sort of walks in at the last minute, like 7.29 and plonks himself down and just starts playing. I do try to get in a little bit early. And um, what I actually do myself is I have a playlist of songs that I know the bass lines to, and I'll just um, put them on shuffle and I'll make sure I play along to a bunch of tunes just to sort of uh, get my hands up and running and, and wake my brain up to what I'm about to do. Mm. And you just, I just think it's about getting, you just got to be in the zone. You can't be doing other things you can't be thinking about too much else you just got to try and keep that concentration up during the show and, and that's something that you just work on i suppose you know just trying to you know keep your mind on the job you know and uh, yeah mm. that's it really yeah because it does seem like a very important part of it like if you if you have oh, i'm sure in your position mm. if you had like one duff show i don't know whether you've had one duff show in the last 12 years or so but if you well, did probably. Um, <laughs> like you know with your reputation you'd probably be all right but if, if it's someone new like you're saying coming in and you know they lose yeah. focus for half a show or whatever and, you know, that's it you can get in your head about a lot of stuff is, is there a way that you you kind of went through that and is there a way that you kind of are able if you if you when you were younger got something a little bit a little bit wrong you're like oh i don't really know what i'm doing is it was there a way to that you got yourself mentally to relax and kind of i don't know actually yeah i mean i suppose i see what you're saying but um I'm not sure. I think it's again. It's it, it's coming back to what we started. We, we talked about at the beginning. It's kind of um, it, it's being having a bit of I suppose a bit of self confidence and um, to know that I can do this, you know, and um, and that you're in a position that maybe, for example, when things go wrong, you're in a position to handle it. So and to know what to do. Um, for example, you, in a lot of these shows, you have what they call vamp bars. Mm. So a section of music, one, two or four or whatever bars will be repeated round and round whilst a person on stage is saying some lines or singing a particular thing. And they could do that fast one night and slow another night. So that length of time could change. And then you've got to be ready to come in when, when it's time to move on on the music. And sometimes a singer might come in completely wrong, you know, and for everyone. And you've just got to be again ready to know what to do in that instance you've got to be again maybe learn you've got to know what they're about to do you know about what they're about to sing and um and if they've jumped in in the wrong place you've got to kind of be able to quickly clock where they've gone to and where that is on the chart and then not panic so mm. it's all about not panicking and um and uh, i think the only real way to do that to answer the question is is really is just to do it a lot and for, for to be in a few positions where it did go wrong you know mm. i've been in plenty of shows maybe you know earlier in my career where things do go wrong and it just goes spectacularly wrong and it's just comic you know it's just <laughs> hilarious but 
in, in western shows it's just that's just not really acceptable you know yeah. so these things have to go well. i mean it happened just the past few nights on our show where a singer just came in in the wrong place and um luckily you can just hear the experience in the room a lot of the times and a lot of the musicians will just jump to the right bit where they are mm. and it's not really a spoken thing the, the md hasn't always got time to jump on on the mic which goes down to just our ears to tell us where they are we've just got to do it you know so and, you, just, um, you just know the music so well that you, you know, and, yeah. and you're listening enough to what's going on on stage as well as in the pit. I suppose so, yeah, and just sort of to, be able to clock what's happened when things have gone wrong. It's as much as it's as much about knowing what to do when things go wrong as, as when it's all going swimmingly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um. And I guess that's yeah, just so the experience I, thing, like you say. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of any way. I mean, you're right to think about. It. I mean, there's you've got to, you've got to not. It's all about not panicking. For example, another another really sort of slightly funny example is, you do sometimes. You know, every so often, your mind might wander, and then you might suddenly realise, oh God, I'm not looking at the page. I'm not looking at the music, but I'm still playing the song. So in my earlier career, if that happened, that would be me making a mistake. I would go wrong or stop. You know. But in my sort of um, more recent years, if I realise I'm I'm playing a song and I've suddenly my mind has wandered or I've just looked away for a second and I've come back and I've looked at the page and I think I don't know where I am, I've learned to force myself to not panic and to almost um, uh, you know um, what's the word just allow myself basically to keep playing in a kind of uh, muscle memory way mm. and uh, and then whilst I'm playing it's almost just like keep playing just uh, accept that your 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 sort of uh, muscle memory is, is just going to make it happen and then scan the page until you basically see on the page where you are what <laughs> what you're hearing your hands doing sort of almost like a detached thing from your body you know right, it's yeah. like I've got to scan the page until I see what my hands are doing <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> slightly strange experience but you basically then you go ah there I am it's all about forcing yourself to not panic in situations like that and nine times out of ten if I get if I suddenly like I say my mind wanders and then I'm suddenly snapped back in, in the room I won't panic. I'll just keep just I say to myself, keep playing. You're in the right place. Just keep playing. And then I'll scan the page. And ah, there I am. And then you, you, you lock back on to the rails, you know. Yeah. But it's um, it's one of those things where it takes a bit of again, that's a sort of self-confidence thing. You've got to sort of, you know, um, I suppose, uh, trust that you're going to do this right, you know, mm. most of the time anyway. Yeah. And um, yeah. So how but, long does uh, it take you when you start a new show? Is, is it does it depend on the music on like how the show is but like how long does it take you to get to a point where where your muscle memory is is confident is there. That, that something like that might happen and, and you'll be fine yeah i know what you mean probably i'd say probably maybe six weeks or something before right. it's starting to really sink in you know um you're kind of honing the part anyway in the first few weeks like how am i going to play this how am i going to approach mm. that you know so you're quite and I, on I, anyway in the beginning aren't you yeah and i suppose it's all about you know the levels of concentration right at the beginning they're sky high because you're just you don't know what's coming next and you're absolutely you know on top concentration and as the, as the, the months and years go on that concentration comes down but hopefully the playing stays the same you know mm. and um so um but yeah it would take it take a good few weeks i'd say before you're starting to feel like yeah i know what's happening here you know yeah i guess i guess yeah. after you've done it for months and, and years even um the consistency mm. thing i suppose do you feel like that's the biggest challenge okay yes yeah i suppose so yeah it's just making sure that you still because again there's you know even just the intensity of your playing you can just sort of what what they would call call it in or phone it in you know where you're just sort of going through the motions mm. but it's not going to sound as exciting as if you were really 
you know, yeah. up for playing that day. And, and you know, can so when you're doing that, I think so. I think it. I think it sounds. You know, you can hear the difference if someone's really enjoying and and what they're doing and putting in their 100. percent You know, um, so I do. I do try to make sure. You know, if I get into the show and I'm, you know, exhausted or something, I've had a busy day. I'll, I'll make sure I'm, you know, I've had a, a strong cup of tea and, you know, mm. and something to eat just before I play. So I'm, I'm up and running and I'm, I'm sort of in the room, you know. Yeah. It's like I say, I think you owe it not to, not just to the audience, but to the rest of the band. If the rest of the band are really going for it and you just can't be bothered, I just don't think that's acceptable, really, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think it's that consistency that actually keeps getting you rebooked for shows. You know, people mm. just notice that, you know, if you imagine. I think I did this Book of Mormon one for, um, it was about three and a half years. And I took into account holidays, time off, you know, the, uh, maybe one show off a week. And I still worked out, I probably played it over 1,200 times, Jeez, you know. Really? So it's quite something, you know. It's, it's just trying to keep it playing as as well on, you know, number 1,200 as the, you were on, like, number 10. You yeah, know, it's, that's it's another quite, level of consistency, that is. Yeah, it's it's really something. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's guys that are playing. There's a there's a fabulous drummer called um, Frosty Beadle, who plays on he plays drums on um, on Mamma Mia. He's been there for absolutely years. He still sounds absolutely amazing. He's just one of the best around, you know. Mm-hmm. And he just brings brings an excitement for music to what he's doing, you know. And um, that's just you know to be commended because he's just so good. Yeah, you know, there's okay. other other guys in that same instance may might have just sort of lost the love for it and wanted to leave, you know. But um, he seems to. I mean, he keeps himself busy. I think with other projects as well, which I think is key on a long runner. But um, you know, he, he brings he brings his sort of love for music to, to his playing on Mamma Mia every night, and yeah. still people people go in there and uh, you know Depping or whatever, and they just say he sounds as great today as as, as ever. You know. Yeah. And um, he, I mean, God knows how many shows he's done. If he's been there like fifteen years or something, that's just scary. Wow. You know. Yeah. But, I mean, um, and how do you? Because to some people, if you say to them, right, you're going to play you know, this show 1,200 times over the next three years, they'll be like, you're mental, I'm not doing that at all. That's it. How do you keep yourself sane when you're doing that? Do you think it's a case of, you know, you either have that mentality and you're like, you love doing it, so you don't mind. um, Yeah. Or do you know some people who do do it, but they, like, absolutely hate it? Yeah, I think there is a few people like that 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 will make it more like, you know, like a job maybe. But I don't think it's going to go well for them. I, th- I think there's a few people that have done long running shows and when they end, when they finished, they just never got booked again. Mm. Um, so I think the people that make it, um, you know, work are, are the guys that maybe make sure they, they play some other, in some other bands outside their show, or if they've been in a show for absolute years, then they probably will start depping on other shows just to keep themselves up and running. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is probably a mindset. There's probably a type of person that wants to do this type of work, you know, and can, sort of get themselves in the headspace every night to do it and it's not everyone you know there's, there's some guys that just like to just mix it up every night and that's cool as well that's their thing that's mm. totally cool um but um so maybe it does take a certain mindset to to, to bring that consistency to every night yeah. but um at the same time like i say it also changes for example like if i if i'm playing my show and there's a different drummer and guitarists at either side of me they will play it in a different way and play different things on over the charts maybe leave gaps where the other guy does uh you know doesn't sorry um or whatever or vice versa and um that makes you play in a different way so it's sort of it, it can make the show it sort of refreshes it for you you know yeah, yeah. so it's it's not quite as simple actually as just sort of, yeah like we say just playing the same thing over and over i think it changes it's a sort of slightly organic thing a lot of and um going on. 
yeah a lot of variables and it you know there's a lot of things that will change how you approach it each night as well and um it can be it's, it's, i just enjoy it myself i just right. enjoy playing the bass you know and yeah. um so you don't I, feel I'm, like you ever get to a point where you're like oh i've played this show i haven't taken a night off for or like three weeks i, I know what you I mean need to go off and do a different gig do you, do you ever yeah. get into that headspace with yourself okay, occasionally i mean don't get me wrong I'm, I'm it's not all you know it's not excitement every day. You do have times when you're tired or you've just done it too much and you just have to give yourself a break. That's, that's important. I mean, I try and do like a day a week off, you know, because mm. you've only got Sundays off anyway. So maybe book a Monday off or a Friday or something just to, to mix it up. Yeah. And, and um, do, you, do you fill that up intentionally with another gig or do you intentionally leave that as, as like no, a weekend? I, t- I tend to keep that as a day off and mm. just spend it with the, with the wife and family. And um, if I get, a, if I get another gig in, I'll take an, another day off as well. Um, and, um, you know just yeah. just i think it's and also it's sort of i think you ha- it's sort of like an organic sort of peak, you know, peak and trough thing you need to sort of have a little break from music occasionally so if i go away for a little little 10 day holiday with the family i might have a complete break from from listening to music and playing music you know right. um other times you want to go away stop playing music but still but listen to a bunch of new stuff and then that'll make you excited about wanting to play again and mm-hmm. i just think it's it is important it's, the breaks are just as important as as the playing you know and because um, you're right, you know, you, you can do your head in if you do it too much. And I mean, right now, for example, I've got tonight off the show and my sort of the tendons in my right hand are just feeling knackered. Right. <laughs> I'm just like they, I, I physically need a break. You know, even if I'm still really enjoying what I'm doing, my yeah. hands are just tired. And, I, you know, the, the percussionist in the show, I was talking to him recently and he's the same. You know, he's playing these congas and stuff every night and his, his hands are just knackered, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's, it's um, so yeah, even it just, though it's like it's only I mean, only. I guess some people, you know, hear people practice eight, ten, fifty hours a day, whatever. But you're, mm. I mean, the show's only like, you know, two, two hours long. You're probably playing. Yeah, four, two and actually. a half. Yeah. Um, yeah I know, two and I know, and a half, Dream Girls is particularly like quite intense with the music. Yeah. Um, it but is. Yeah. Even like just consistently doing two hours a day, like in, I suppose, in that environment, I guess. Yeah. That like is particularly knackering. Yeah, that's it. I mean, like the like for example, yeah, Dream Girls is is um there's hardly any gaps i think there's like one four minute gap in the whole thing and right. um where we don't play and oh. um everything else is pretty much back-to-back music and uh, for example on a on a wednesday and a saturday when we do two shows that's pretty much five hours of playing like you say in a sort of pressure environment so it's not just sort of practice at home where you can have a little break and go back to it it's, it's kind of full on so it's yeah it's tiring it's 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 quite a lot to it you know so if you if you get halfway through a week and you're like oh man this 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 week's not not for me (laughs) or whatever how how uh how far in advance do you do you have to like do you need to get a depth in can you literally ring someone up after a show and be like do you want to do tomorrow or yeah i mean you can do i mean you you have to go through it yeah i think you have to have a pool of players and maybe four or five depths maybe and um, that maybe do diff- again. Sometimes also guys that do different stuff. So if one's not available because they're booked up for something, then another guy might be more more free on a particular day or whatever for for whatever reason. Mm. And um, so yeah, I think it's have a pool of players, and you have to check in with your fixer to make sure that there's not too many people off off the show the particular night you want off. And um, and yeah, you just got to kind of you you can do it. You can do it an hour before if you if you feel like it, but it's got to be everything's got to work like you've got to have someone available and it's got to be cool to be off that night and stuff mm. but um i know what you mean it does happen you just have yeah. days where you're just like I've, I, I can't do it tonight i don't want to you know mm. you know for whatever reason you know yeah well, i mean or but, if you uh, have an emergency or something i guess i guess a completely different environment 
at all. Um, but like when, yeah. when, you're, when you're finding depth, do you find that that's um, just going off on a bit of a tangent? Just thought about it. Is it like you? Does that? Do you feel like that? That takes a while, and that's a bit of a chore as well. Sometimes you like, oh, it might just be easier just to play tonight rather than find a depth. Or is it kind um, of you've got a group of guys you that you know you can just fire one text to and they'll reply pretty soon, yes or no? Yeah, I know what you mean, actually. I think it's, it, it sort of varies. I've got, um, yeah, usually four or five depths available for a show and um, you usually kind of, you, you sort of have an idea of what people are up to generally. And if you suddenly wanted a last-minute depth, for example, there might be one or two of the guys that you think they're more likely to be available short notice than the other. So you would try them first, mm. you know, and work through the list. Whereas, for example, if I got, if I booking off something in two weeks time, then I, you, you could probably take your time a bit more and choose who, you know, Oh, that guy might be available, might not, but I'll check with them, you know, and I tend, I tend to try and, you know, rotate it all. So everyone gets a go, you know, quite often. Otherwise right. people are just forgetting how it goes, you know? Yeah. And do, um, you, do you hear back um, from, or, I suppose you probably ask when you when they first come in, but do you, is it just a general you go back in and chat to the guys who played with your depth last night to find out how they did? Yes, like, yeah. Do you, That's do, it. You, do you like? Do you feel obliged to kind of monitor that because it's your chair? So I guess you know. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if if your depth comes in and doesn't do. Yeah, you do. I mean, for example, usually. Um, so I always use my instrument as the example, but for, for a bass player, like I would ask the drummer, how was such and such last night? And they would say whether they had a good one or a bad one. And if there are any issues, usually the MD will flag it up anyway. Mm. And they'll just sort of say, you know, it's X, Y or Z person didn't didn't do it well enough last night. I have a word about this, that and the other. So it is kind of monitored, actually. And, and like you say, you know, it's my name sort of in the program. And um, you kind of want to try and keep the the standard as high as possible i suppose you don't want people going in just being a bit blasé about the whole thing and not putting in the effort and getting it all wrong yeah because it's gonna people are gonna look in the in the in the program and go well that ian king guy was pretty rubbish you know <laughs> and it's like no it wasn't me <laughs> do you know what i mean so yeah. Um, yeah you're right it does get it does get monitored really i think you know they're trying to always trying to keep the keep the uh the standard as high as possible have you know? ever had the situation where you've gone back in and, and an md has been like you know what I don't want them back. And then, yeah, do you, yeah, do you then happened. have to tell them that, or do you just not ring them again? You kind of, um, I think it's you usually want to try and tell. You know, you don't want to just sort of go quiet on them because they'll just get paranoid. So mm. you'd, you'd, I mean, normally it would be um, there would be notes first. It wouldn't come out of the blue. You know, they would be sort of given a few note. You know, given a few notes about what they did. And if it did get to a stage where it's, that's that's it, you know, you'd have to sort of pluck up the courage, give them a call, and just go. You know, sorry, it's not working out, but hopefully I'll give you a shout on the next show. You know, yeah. Um, and so sometimes there's grey areas as well. If I'm honest, you know, where someone might not be, might have not done it that well, and but they're not. It's not so bad that we would never again them. But um, they would. The MD might say, look, you've got five guys. Try such. You know, these three guys first in future, and maybe put these two more to the lower end of your list. Ask mm-hmm. them. You know, uh, not as often, sort of thing. Um, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, there's a grey area to it. Yeah, really. You don't really want to just, because like, like I said, you don't really, no one really wants to have the word never again put next to their name oh, on a show yeah. because it's it's going to have an effect on, on their their, further, their future work, you yeah. know. So you try and give people as, as, as much of a go as possible. Um, you know, and sometimes people maybe are just, you know, really great players at a particular thing, but they're not so strong at something else. So 
just because they've not worked out on one particular show doesn't mean that they won't be brilliant on another one so you know we try, you've got to try and be as fair as possible i think really yeah because yeah, um like i, I know myself if someone put me in yeah if someone put me in some i don't know particular you know musical situation and i wasn't so good at it you know i'd be a bit gutted if i got written off as a bad muso you know mm. on that basis you know i'd, I'd want to be i'd want to be sort of judged on other things i can do as well you know so uh yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, there we go. Yeah. So yeah. is there like it seems like there's kind of a a hierarchy? I mean, I know that there technically is on paper, but is it like kind of you know the MD tells you to do something like you know you you have to do it kind of thing? Oh, you, you, what in terms of booking people for adepts and stuff? Just you mean, or just I was generally? Just thinking because you're saying the MD comes back to you with some some kind of notes or, about stuff. Mm. Um, and I guess yeah. because the the MDs in the in the pit as well, so I suppose you are, you you know your your music musician friends together. Um, but I suppose yeah, but they're like they are the boss. Really, you have to watch out for yeah, like they they are technically your boss, so you kind yeah, of yeah, they are really. I mean, they're, they're the musical director, and they're usually the reason you're sat there. You know, they've asked for you to be in the show with them, and so um, you know that they are the person not only conducting you, but um you know they're clocking what you're playing and you know whether it's right for the show and they'll also be clocking about your depths what, what they're doing and um so it's it's they're the boss it's just mm. as simple as that really they're usually really cool guys i mean like the chap i'm I'm working with at the moment you know you forget he's he's the boss half the time because he's just he's a great laugh when everything's running smoothly it's there's no reason for him to keep telling you i'm your boss you know he's just mm. a cool guy and you have yeah. a, you have a good time with him and we we enjoy playing music together you know and and most of the time you're looking at him as a and clocking him as a musician you know oh that's a guy playing great piano you know and yeah, exactly. um and, and but he'll only sort of uh stamp his authority on things when needed really you know um but and and then and also in in uh in these theater worlds you have the musical supervisor as well who's above that who's above the md mm. who's usually someone who sort of oversees the whole thing um in in my current show they're the same person it's the 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 musical director is the supervisor so he will then go on and supervise other productions of this show when it goes to to broadway for example um um, but in other instances you might have a a different guy who's the musical director so for example for hamilton which is the the next one i'm doing um there's a, a musical supervisor in america so the the musical director of the first ever production on broadway is going to supervise what happens over in in England. Mm-hmm. So he'll come over and have have a sort of say in things, how it's set up in England, and sort of liaise with the musical director over here. Then once it's all set up, he'll go back to America, and then the musical director will be the boss here. Right. You know, so it's it's sort of like a it's a hierarchy, but it's also it's just sort of helping things get set up. You know. Mm and how it needs to be done you know have you ever had um, so, a musical supervisor or a musical director where you've kind of had to um like kind of manage manage what you say maybe if, if they're not if they're not as cool um i suppose so i don't know i mean they tend to be they tend to be all right and usually like i say the reason you're there is because they like you so it's mm. usually a kind of a positive experience you so know you normally get yeah, on you, originally beforehand yeah i mean obviously there's a few that maybe a bit more strict and stuff and you would just you know just sort of do your play your role and and that's that you know but more often than not you know they're usually just really nice people you know i mean yeah. 99 out of 100 will just be cool guys and it's just that's it you know or well, girls when you're at the top you know? as you are like there's, there's no room for 
I guess so, yeah, that's, I do find that I find that generally with with music in general, I usually find the people that are the most sort of you know I suppose down on things, slagging people off or moaning about things aren't don't tend to be at the top. <laughs> I just mm. they just don't on what on whatever instrument or whatever role we're talking about. I just find you just find the best people are just a bit more self-assured and usually just um, just much easier to get on with. To be honest, they've got less to prove. And it's all just a bit. I just find that the higher up you go, the people are a bit easier to deal with. I think you know, yeah. you often get frustrated people at the, the lower rungs of things, and uh, it's just it's managing. I think you're right to ask that question. It's sort of it's more about it's managing those guys really. But for example, you know, like using my current MD as an example, but you know, he, he's so good at what he does, but he doesn't need to prove that. You know, yeah. he's got nothing to prove. His, his CV is as long as your arm. You know, mm. it's all there. To, it's all there, just sort of in front of you to as proof so he he just you just get on with the job you know and um he's a good laugh as well so it's sort of it all works well yeah you know? no it's it's, so. it's nice to hear you say that that you know because i suppose a lot of people might view the music industry as quite cutthroat and it is in a way um but also maybe not the best kind of social environment but it's nice to hear you say that you know that if you yeah. stick with it the higher up you go the easier it gets with all that like, that kind of stuff i think i think so well. Yeah, I think if you just yeah, you, you know what I mean in terms of just people having less to prove once mm. they're up the top, and um, I think that that really shows, you know. Yeah. And um, and also like yeah, we, you know, I suppose maybe I don't know. It sounds a bit nasty, but maybe in the lower rungs of things, maybe the players aren't. Maybe if they're not so good, if they're making more mistakes and not doing what's needed, there's more to be said, you know. Mm. And uh, you need a hard taskmaster to keep that in check. Maybe I don't know. I'm I'm making this up. But when you get to that, like I say, you get to the top sort of echelons of, of this whole scenario you know y- you've got better players and better mds there's probably less going wrong to be to be spoken about anyway <laughs> yeah. so you know it, it all just seems to go a bit easier you know mm. so um yeah it all works anyway yeah well there's there's one mm. thing i wanted to ask you about um that we mentioned right at the beginning in terms of um the the cruise ships i know you said you didn't do uh do any of them um, mm. But it sounds like you know you know of or you know people who have done them. It's interesting because there is there are certain uh, conversations that go on about cruise ships specifically because they they right. like you say they are um, going to the like they're kind of like mini shows in the West End. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. So you are away for you know three months, six months, a year, maybe even longer. Yeah. Um, and some people feel that you know if you if you go on a cruise ship, then um, you kind of you go away for a year or whatever, and then you come back, and you don't really have any any work when you come back because you've gone away. I suppose it's a bit different when you're yeah. in the West End because you're still around, you're still in town, or if you're on a on a West End tour, like you're still um, mm. people. Know I know what you mean. Yeah. That. I mean, do you have any kind of uh, views on that at all? I'm I'm just interested. Well, I just think, yeah, I just personally, I just think it's sort of. Uh, I suppose it keeps coming back to that thing of there's there's no way around paying your dues i mean i think you need to you know a big block of work like that it, it just does you so much good and if you think about it it's a different it's a different way of, of um thinking about it you could think yeah i'm away from the scene and uh, people won't know I'm, I'm around and therefore when i get back there's not as much work but the other thing is we were talking at the beginning about you need to go wrong in in situations where it's not so important hmm. so it's sort of a perfect scenario if you're away you went away on a boat you know for, for three months or something um and you know and you're learning your craft you know and you're kind of um uh, it's, it's all the beginnings of it all for you and uh you know if things 
go wrong in that scenario. It's, it's only a finite amount of people that will find out about it. You know, what I'm saying is if you go into London's West End and you play and something goes wrong, everyone knows about it and you've got the never again. So it might be a good place to go away for a while, be off the scene for a while whilst you learn your craft. You know, then you start to bring the skills that you've honed back to, you know, London and wherever else. And then you, you've got better. I just think I just think there's it's a great thing to do. Say, for example, you've just come out of college. You know, you go on a cruise, you get, you get to see some great bits of the world. You know, you get to play a load of music every night and you earn a bit of money. Um, probably with very low costs at home because you, you don't need to pay rent and stuff. And it, I just think it's the perfect scenario to, to sort of get started. And then from then on, maybe go into some touring shows or, you know, get in a function band and you sort of, sort of build up your contacts and stuff. But um, I don't think it's a bad thing to, to, to be off the scene for a short while. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be away for years. Mm. But um, I just think it's, um, it's, an, it's an important part of it. You just, you know, you you have to... You have to try out these these scenarios, like like you say, like mini West End shows. You've got to have done them a lot, yeah, in order to sort of get the grounding, and then off you go. You know, yeah. Um, I would just do it as as soon as possible. Do it as young as possible, because you know you've got a whole career ahead of you. You've got years ahead of you of playing music, and um, there's plenty of time to do the other stuff. I think if you rush it, you're gonna just you're gonna set yourself up for a fall. I think you know. Yeah, no, it's, but, good. Yeah. it's good to hear you say that. That's, that's one of the first positive views <laughs> that I've heard. Um, I mean, I think I've probably only talked to younger guys about it, but... Yeah, no, I can understand. It. I can just understand the thinking. I don't want to be <laughs> away. But um, mm. I guess, you know, it is an inevitable thing. You will be away for a little while, but at the same time, you know, you're you're honing these skills. You, you want to make sure that when you go into sort of higher level stuff, that you've got good at what you want to do, you know, because yeah. there's, there's so many people, there's loads of these pop colleges now and, various things you know just churning out people year on year all with the promise of a session career and it's you know it's pretty cutthroat there's not that much work out there you know and um i don't know really in this in this specific thing anyway in this sort of you know theater style stuff um yeah yeah. it does seem like you know the theater stuff in itself it seems to be quite a small world like you say there's only a certain amount of shows there's only a certain amount of theaters in london so you know yeah i mean also panto, panto's panto's probably a perfect thing to do i mean a lot of people sort of poo-poo it they just go oh, i'm not doing a panto because it's not cool you know mm. but again it's a mini west end show you're yeah. going in in fact what a few years ago like you were talking about whether i've debt on things there's there was one scenario i did have to go in a, a big fixer that i work for a lot does all the big shows um i was in between i just had a very short gap in between two shows and uh, there was a panto going on in Hammersmith, I think it was. And and, and very sadly, the uh, bass player's dad passed away and he suddenly couldn't go to work. And like he said, so the, the fixer just said, Look, I, you know, I hope you don't mind. But do you fancy just going in and helping us out with like four shows? This guy's got to go. His dad's just died, you know. Mm. So I went in and um, so there's, you know, there's you just finished a West End run and you're like, you, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself. I went into this um, this panto and it was just full of pop music, like modern pop music, which I'd never read, you know. And, um, you know, the last time I'd been doing functions, it was just it was a whole different set of music. It was all kind of um, 70s classics and whatnot. Yeah. And um, suddenly I'm reading down all these pop charts, you know, it was pretty hard. So what my, my point is, is like people, you know, sort of play down these these pan- oh, I don't want to do a panto. It's not cool. But it's absolutely perfect, you know, for your sight reading. You know, again, you're often on click and on listening to track. 
you've got MDs conducting you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just um, absolutely perfect scenario. It's a little run of work, and actually, often it's not too far from London. You know, there's a lot of them. If you wanted to be based in London, you know, you know, there's loads of them around. And it's just a perfect scenario to get that grounding again. You know, it's, it's all about honing those skills in smaller scenarios and, and um, not, not sort of sticking yourself straight in at the deep end, you know. Mm. And uh, off you go. Yeah, it all, make, it all <coughs> makes sense when you say it like that. It just, it, to me, it sounds like you're just a very uh, positive thinker trying to find all the positives from it. And it, it does all make sense. Like, I suppose so. With all that yeah, stuff. try anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Nice one. Great. Well, I've just got a few, go. uh, few quick questions to finish with, if that's okay. cool. Um, what uh, gear do you use at all? If you have you got like a an, a range of gear, or have you got like a really like kind of um, you advising people to? Yeah, to I guess um, just a quick rundown. I suppose yeah. is um, I use like, overwater bases um, just because they're um, <clears throat> we're just really nice bases, but also they they pay particular attention to um, how quiet they are. And what I mean by that is they don't pick up, you know, hum and buzz from lighting rigs and whatnot. So there won't be lots of grounding and shielding issues. So they're very, um, very professional instruments and they just sound, sound and feel great. So they're they're the ones I always go to. Um, And uh, I have a few sort of go to, you know, pedals. For example, pits these days are always um, uh, what they call silent pits. So you won't have an amp. You're just, um, uh, beyond headphones so I, I tend to use a little bass preamp i use an ebs one called micro bass 2 which everyone knows about and uh my current show i'm using a, a layla mono volume pedal and um you know other than that there's different shows need different um kind of effects and stuff mm. um which it changes from from show to show so it's not really worth mentioning them because they sort of change all the time yeah um, so that's your standard uh, like you go in and you use that on everything if you can pretty much yeah i've got a couple of overwater five string basses like they're jazz basses that i use which just just sound great you know and you can make them sound a bit more like a precision or a jazz or whatever you need and mm. um they work really well um i always use ultraphones which are the, the best headphones for pit work i find they're just great. They're really good at uh, um sort of getting rid of the outside noise you yeah. know are they are they and, over ears or are they like in ears they're like these huge over ear things that look like you're drilling the road, you know, like the sort of the the ones the guys wear for that. And then yeah. they've got drivers in them and um, they sound really good. Great. I'm trying to think other sort of standard stuff I use, really. Um, yeah. Can't think of any specifics, really. Yeah. Oh, great. But yeah. That's the main thing. Um, yeah. If you uh, if you had to give like three or four albums, like your favorite albums for like recommended listening at all, do you have oh, okay. any that spring to mind immediately? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I mean, I suppose, again, I always come at these things from like a, a bass pair, in a, you know, perspective. So um, stuff like Off the Wall by Michael Jackson, I guess, mm. is a real oh, kind of, um, yeah. it's just a, a desert island disc, I guess I'd call it, you know. Mm. Um, let me think of other stuff I like. You've got to be honest, certainly stuff that you would listen to over and over. Um, I'm trying to think things that I like to listen to. I mean, I, I grew up listening to a lot of Prince as well. Mm. Um Again, it's trying to sort of narrow down a single Prince album. Blimey, <laughs> that's really hard. Something like um, Sign of the Times, probably. Yeah. Um, that's a good, that's a good one. You know, um, I like Lionel Richie stuff. I've just been. It's funny you should mention these albums because if I think about albums I listened to growing up, there was one called Dancing on the Ceiling, which was um, just had such a great bass sound to it. You know, 
and it's, some of it's a bit cheesy now. You listen to it, so it's older cheesy music, but it's, it's, I don't know, it stood the test of time for me anyway. Mm. Um, uh, trying to think. Um, Is there anything on that playlist that you were saying that you do before shows? Yeah, I mean... Um, I, there's a few there's this Al Jarreau album just called Jarreau, mm. which is just fabulous, just such such great stuff on it, you know. Um, let me trying to think about other stuff. Um, I guess uh, it's a bit, of, I suppose, a bit some Stevie Wonder ones. I suppose is, you know, again, it's trying to it's something like I'm trying to think because everyone always says, for example, songs of the key of life because that is just that's the one that we all we all go to. Oh yeah, but. Um, Things that I grew up with, there's an album called Hotter Than July. That's some really good stuff on it. Mm. Um, what other stuff do I listen to? Blimey. <laughs> it's so hard to um, to think it's on the spot. It's a hard question, isn't it? Because also, like, yeah, music that I've got into in more recent years, I suppose you get more into your sort of muso music. So people always mention Steely Dan. Obviously, I love some Steely Dan stuff. But that wasn't probably one of the albums, you know, or, or bands that got me into bass playing at the beginning. You know, um, it, it, I've, it's stuff I love now, but, um, you know, maybe back in the day, I, I listened to, um, let me think, Jamiroquai's um, Return of the Space Cowboy album had mm. just wicked bass playing on it. Just, you know, I, I loved the first one, The Emergency on Planet Earth, because it was just this new band. It was so groovy and I just loved everything on that. But I think maybe the sweet spot for me was was that second album. The bass on it is just is so cool. Mm. Um uh, equally, like I got into sort of incognito when I was younger, and um, a, a Randy Hope Taylor album I really like is um, is this album called Posit- Positivity, right? And that's just all the bass lines on it are so good, and he's so brilliant on that. So that's that's one I really enjoyed, you know, yeah. growing up. Um, I was all into my sort of, you know, brand new heavies, incognito, um, Jamiroquai back in that in those days, and I guess uh, level forty two. And um, it's funny because I think, you know, I don't know if you find this, but a lot of musos, you ask them for top fives or top tens or whatever. And they'll often say albums that they think that they are the coolest ones by a band. <laughs> but I reckon there's always an honest one, which isn't that, you know. Oh, so, for example, yeah. for, for, level, for level 42, being a, 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 you know, a fan of Mark King back in the day, there's, there's some really hip albums that everyone always talks about, World Machine, I suppose, and Pursuit of Accidents. And they were really good. But the one that made me want to play bass was i suppose was the more commercial one which was was um uh uh oh hang on a minute what's it called the one with lessons and love on it running in the family that album right um and that was i suppose the more commercial you might call it more cheesy album but again that's the one that made me want to play bass listening to those you know Mm. uh records um so the more i talk about it the more albums are coming out (laughs) from my childhood you know but i suppose bass bass playing ones yeah bass playing ones would be uh, Return of the Sp- Space Cowboy, Jamiroquai, um, Incognito's Positivity, uh, Level 42, there's there's millions, but probably Running in the Family, uh, Lionel Richie Dancing on the Ceiling. Um, uh, what else is that? What else did I say at the beginning? Uh, Al Jarreau's Jarreau, that was a good one. And yeah. Off the Wall. I mean, even, and again, this is another one, Michael Jackson albums, for example. Off the Wall is the is the one that everyone talks about. That's the cool one. Mm. But again, if I'm honest, during my childhood, it was probably the bad album, which everyone thinks is the cheesy album. But that's probably the <laughs> one I grew up loving the most. But you, you, you listen to, for example, even just the track Brat Bad itself. Mm. Um, you know, you start to listen to like the uh, the, the organ on it. Like the, I think it's Greg Fillingains on that. 
it's absolutely it's just the coolest thing ever you know yeah. you just got to re-listen to some of these old albums you know and um i suppose that again in later years i got into like anita baker and stuff like that a lot of sort of um sort of female soul singers um that's it rapture is one of the albums she did and um alita adams is circle of one it's got pino all over it you know right um Great. so um i'm not i've done way more than five now haven't i this is terrible <laughs> that's fine it's, no it's, no absolutely it, it's, it's too hard to hone them all you know yeah yeah uh, that's uh, often often uh, the hardest question that yeah i think so yeah um so finally yeah. i mean where you're uh you're currently on dream girls and you said you're going on to um hamilton, hamilton. Yeah. yeah yeah uh is there anything um that people anything else that you're doing when you're not on a show that people can see you in at all are you, are you part of any other bands that do stuff outside the west end i suppose um yeah recently i i mean at one point i, I played in there was a, a band called real which was uh, run by winston rollins which is a, a sort of funk outfit and he used a, a, quite a few of the guys that played in jamiroquai to play in that right. um and there is an album um on itunes um uh, i think it's called love crazy that we played on i played on all the tracks and it's got a lot of the jamiroquai players on that um, which I was kind of proud of that, that little bit I did. Um, but in, in recent months, I've sort of I've been doing sort of little freelancey bits for. So, for example, one of the things I did recently was I depped for Andy Pask on a, like a an Elvis show. Right. And what it is is they they took um, uh, an old recording, uh, an actual you know filmed gig that Elvis did, one of his comeback concerts. So what what's happening is they're projecting Elvis on a big screen at the back of the uh, of the, of the stage, mm. and they've taken his isolated vocal. And then they've reorchestrated it for the the Royal Philharmonic to play along as well. Oh, so um, I did a gig where you know it's it's drums, bass, guitar, and keys, and then they'll have the Philharmonic there as well, and then uh, Elvis up on a screen, you know. So um, great. That was that was sort of fun. So I've just sort of done a few one-offs and you know bits and bobs like that. Um, I played on a, I did like a arena tour with on this Jesus Christ Superstar thing a few years ago, and there was a. I think it was 2012 I did that. There's a video of that out, you know. Mm. Um, I did a load of Doctor Who stuff as well. And um, so it's sort of a bit freelancing. I'm not really in a band as such these yeah, days. Yeah. I'm just no, like, absolutely. I'm just Mr. Freelance these days, you know. Mm. So if people um, want to come and hear you play, basically, West End's a good bet. It is really, yeah. You know, I've started to do a few more kind of like um, online lessons and things like that and stuff. So, because people, I think, um, becoming more and more interested in... Uh, this sort of the sphere of work and, mm. and, oh, and I suppose the yeah. skill set, you know, so yeah. um, a few more people got in, you know, there's a, there's a website, especially called base chat that loads of people are on. And I got a few people sort of contacting me through that oh. and asking for a few lessons. So I sort of just do that as well a bit cool. sometimes. So that's the best way if people want to reach you through that website. I guess so. Yeah. That's the, yeah, there's a, you can, I'm called King bassist on that. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, as, as things go on, I'm, um, I'm going to get a bit more of an online presence going, I think, going forward. Um, so I'll probably do myself a website in the in the next year or so and uh, offer a few more things on that, you know. Yeah. So I, I suppose it's a watch this space kind of moment. But right. uh, recently I've just been working away too much to, to do that. But um, I'm definitely that's something I'm going to be, be doing. I did a little uh, interview with Scott Devine as well, who does these uh, lessons as well online. Mm. So there's a video with me on that as well. So, uh, yeah. Oh, great. Nice one. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Nice one, yeah. Cheers for your time. Thank you for listening to the Tom Hutch Podcast. I really appreciate you giving the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this talk with Ian as much as I did. 
if you want to get in touch with Ian, you can find him on a website called Bass Chat, and his name is King Bassist. Uh, he does a lot of online lessons there, uh, and you can also find him on Instagram at Ian King Bass. If you want to check out the show notes or download a transcription of the episode, you can head over to tomhutchmusic.com forward slash podcast and find it all there. If you like the episode, please give it a rating or a review. I'd very much appreciate it. And if you have any ideas of guests that you'd like to hear from or questions that you would like me to ask, then please get in touch with me directly via email at tlhutchmusic at gmail.com or on social media at tlhutchmusic. Thanks for now, and I'll see you in the next one.